I'm happy to see each one of you here today. As you know, we're finishing the book of Galatians. <clears throat> Probably the first letter of the New Testament letters that was written, and it carries a vital message. Some of the people were trying to kind of twist the gospel around, saying you had to have good works to be saved. You had to be circumcised. You had to keep the Old Testament law. But Paul didn't want the gospel distorted. And so he wrote the book of Galatians to hopefully keep them on the right track, to help them know that we're saved by faith and faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. He paid the penalty. He came alive again. We trust in him, and God gives us the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. So important that Paul wrote this letter to keep them on the straight way instead of off into a byway. Well, we've come to the last chapter, Galatians chapter 6. <clears throat> Brethren, if a person be overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so complete the law of Christ. For if a man thinks himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let every man test his own work, and then he shall have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another person, because every man shall carry his own load. Go back to verse 1, if someone's overtaken in a fault. So these first five verses deal with helping a person, a Christian that's gone a little bit off the track, that needs some help, to help one another, to love each other. And one of the hardest things that it is to do, I think, is to point out somebody's faults. And so here we have some directions of how this ought to go about. As a young Christian, I was influenced a good deal by Doss Trotman and the navigators in the memory system. And I got around him enough to know that he was kind of maybe overbearing when it comes to rebuking people. But he took it pretty seriously. And you know, back in Proverbs, it says that it's better to openly speak to somebody than, than not to do that, better than secret love. And so here we find a section that deals with a matter of helping people be what God wants us to be, especially if they've wandered off the track a little bit, overtaken in a fault, it says in verse 1. You who are spiritual, well, who is spiritual? <laughs> Remember the message last Sunday, dropping back to chapter 5, in verse 16 it said, walk in the Spirit. And in verse 25 it said, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Well, I would say those would qualify as being spiritual. And one of the things that it really emphasizes here in this passage if you're going to help somebody else that's a bit wayward, 
Don't do it out of pride. Don't do it out of thinking how great you are. Do it out of love and do it in the spirit of meekness. That's very important. It says if you think you're something, you're really nothing. <laughs> and you know before God, what are we in ourselves? He has made us what we are as Christians. He gets all the glory and all the honor. Book of James talks about it as well, about restoring a person, helping bring a soul back into line. James 5.20. Those who leave many to the Lord and help them spiritually are spoken of, as it were, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. We are always to consider ourselves, too. If we're going to point the finger at somebody else, remember it's got to point back at ourselves as well. And if we think we stand, watch out lest we fall. Don't ever get the big head and think we have it made, that we're invulnerable to temptation. Instead, be humble and look to God and trust him. And if and when you do something wrong, immediately confess it to God and turn from it. Abhor that which is evil, be joined to that which is good, tells us in Romans chapter 12. Also, we have a, a thought along this line expressed in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. 1 Corinthians 8. Here's what we find in verse 2. If anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. So as we take the overall view, we see we're to be humble, we're to be meek, we're to recognize we are what we are because of God's grace and Christ's forgiveness. His name is above all names. And we sang about the name of Jesus, did we not? So back to Galatians then, chapter 6. Verse 4. Let every man test his own work. Then he shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not in someone else. So we have personal responsibility for ourselves. And there's no contradiction here. We also should care for ourselves as well as be concerned for others and have an attitude of meekness. And so it goes on to say, verse 5, everyone shall carry his own load. <laughs> and by the way, in verse 2 and verse 5, the word for burdens, and here it's supposed to be translated probably best as load. They're two different Greek words. But the thought is very much the same. So what do we learn from this? We learn that because we love one another and we love Christ, we should be concerned for the other people as well as for ourselves. We need to be responsible for ourselves and out of love and out of the law of the love of Christ, we are to live for him and help other people to encourage them to be what God wants them to be. Going on then, the next section, 
Galatians 6, beginning in verse 6. Let him who is taught in the word communicate to him who teaches in all good things. Another translation might perhaps bring it out more clearly. It's talking about basically giving to support God's work, to communicate, to share, to help other people. And judging by the offerings that I see in the bulletin for this church through the years, it seems that you've got a grasp of that quite well, that you do well in this area of giving and supporting God's work and God's people. But here we come to a very important situation, one of the main things of this passage. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked, because whatever a man sows, he shall also reap. In other words, what you plant, that's what you're going to harvest. What you plant is what you're going to end up picking. This is an inflexible law of nature, is it not? And it is true and has application in a spiritual sense, which we find here being done. What you plant, that's what you're going to harvest, whether it's physically or whether it is spiritually. Physically, if you plant corn, you don't expect later to pick beans. On the other hand, if you plant some beans, you don't anticipate a corn cob later, do you? What you plant is what you receive. And what we plant spiritually and morally is what we're going to be received. And it tells us, don't be deceived about this. This is the way it works. It tells us very clearly here. Now, back in the book of Romans, we find the spiritual application spelled out in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. God will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality, eternal life. But to them who are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that does evil. So you see, it's applying this in a spiritual sense. The physical, which is obvious, what you plant is what you pick. Here in a spiritual sense, same thing. If you live your life according to morality, according to God's standards, you will pick and reap the same. On the other hand, if you don't, you reap that which is very difficult. Verses 9 and 10. Don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall weep if we do not faint. In God's timing. Is it possible to be weary in well-doing? Do you maybe ever get a little tired exerting yourself for the Lord every day after day and year after year? There is that possibility. We can feel that way at times. So we're encouraged, don't feel that way. Be above that. Don't be tired and weary in doing that which is good and right and well. And so 
brings in this thought that as you keep on doing good, you will be rewarded. The same principle he's talking about. What you plant, that's what you're going to reap. So don't be weary in well-doing. There is a reward that will come. And so we find in verse 10, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good to everybody, especially to them who are of the household of faith. It says, okay, if you have a chance to help somebody, let's do it. But notice it says, especially to the people of faith. What does that tell us? I believe it tells us that we primarily have responsibility to fellow Christians, to love them, to help correct them if need be, as we saw in the first five verses, to do what we can to assist them and to help them and to help with God's work. But especially to God's people, we have a primary responsibility. What we sow, we will reap. Now the Lord Jesus really spelled this out in one aspect in the book of Matthew chapter 25. Here's what we find beginning in verse 32. Before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another like a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king shall say to them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Because I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Without clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous shall answer him, that is, those on the right hand, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you, or thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and took you in, or without clothes and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and came to you? And the king shall answer and say to them, I tell you most assuredly, inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these, perhaps pointing to others on the right hand there, his sheep, you have done it to me. That's quite a thought, isn't it? When you help a fellow Christian, in reality, you're helping Jesus. He lives in that Christian. So you're actually helping the Lord himself. That's quite a thought, isn't it? Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, Go away from me, you cursed ones, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Because I was hungry, and you didn't give me food. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Without clothes, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they shall also answer, and saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, 
or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he shall answer them, saying, I tell you most assuredly, inasmuch as you did it not to these, one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. So you see, that's a spelling out of this idea, what you plant is what you're going to pick. It's an inflexible law physically and spiritually. And so back to Galatians then in chapter 6. And by the way, a few times I was having trouble and started reading the wrong passage. You remember a few Sundays ago? That's because I started using little clips, putting them in the Bible so I could find places easier. But instead I tripped myself up several times, so I stopped using those little clips. I just go to the passage itself. Okay, let's go back to Galatians chapter 6 then with the concluding section, the closing comments. And what is he going to say as he concludes this very important letter? Verse 11, you see how large a letter I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. Now in verse 11, Old King James doesn't probably translate it like it should. Old King James says, You see how large a letter I have written to you with my own hand. Actually, the word for letter is plural in the Greek. Apparently what it's talking about is he's written it himself, but he's written it in large characters, in large letters. Not that he's saying the book of Galatians is a big letter. Actually, it's not that big. He's apparently talking about the size of the letters that he was writing. You remember we talked some time ago about the issue of what was Paul's thorn in the flesh. And we see back in chapter 4, he deals with that. And he even says, if it were possible, you would have given me your own eyes. So I believe very strongly that it most probably was an eye ailment that he was speaking about here. And this, of course, helps fortify that. Look what large letters that I've written here. Why would he say something like that unless it had to do with his eyes and his ability to see? But at any rate, whatever it was, he talks about the thing of being circumcised and keeping the law in verse 13. And so this fits in, does it not, with the main message of the book of Galatians, which we've talked about repeatedly here. Over and over and over, he comes back to this primary subject, that we're saved by faith, and faith alone. Chapter 2, verse 16. I've read that several times for us. 
that really spells it out very clearly. And here in verse 13, Galatians 6, again, it's talking about that. But what he is going to glory in, verse 14, is the cross. You see, that's opposed to works. That's opposed to circumcision and keeping the law. That's a matter of grace. It's a matter of God's gift. And when you come right down to it, who of us would ever make it if it weren't that way? Because we've all done things we shouldn't have done. That's what the law shows us. And you know how Jesus, the law of Christ, as it were, explains the true morality in the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you'll see he, how he dissects the old law and shows what is really meant, the deeper meaning of love, what it really means to be a light, what it really means to pray and follow God. So what he glories in is the cross, verse 14. That is contrary to self-works and earning it ourselves. The cross of the Lord Jesus. But he makes a practical application from that as well here in the last of verse 14. Is this true in us? He said, by whom the world is crucified to me. So he looks at the cross and he figures... Okay, the world no longer has that pull and hold on me. I'm no longer obligated to give in to the fleshly desires. I've been freed from that by the cross. I've died to self. What did he mean when he invited the people to take up their cross and follow him daily? What was the cross used for? It was instrument of execution. So he's talking about spiritually executing the old nature, the old flesh, the wrong desires, and instead following Jesus. So to take up our cross daily is to say no to self and yes to God. To follow the Lord Jesus in our thinking, in our living, in all that we do, in all that we are. By whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. Remember what it said back in chapter 2, verse 20? Here's how he put it there. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Back to 6, verse 15. This is a companion verse to chapter 5, verse 6. Remember back in chapter 5 how verse 6 says this, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. That's what counts. But here he says this, 6.15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So these are companion verses, are they not? What really counts is not works and the law and circumcision. What really counts is being a new person in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And those of us, and I hope all of us, have accepted Jesus. And when we trust in him, we become new people, new creations. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18 talks about that, does it not? And then it goes on here in chapter 6, verse 16. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and on the Israel of God. The word rule, maybe some of your translations have the word canon. That's a word used to speak of the totality of the scripture, the canon or the rule of faith. We believe that that's in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, the rule or canon of faith. So those that go by this, peace on them, he says, and mercy. We need to experience both of those, do we not? And upon the Israel of God. What's he saying? We've talked about that, and we find it elsewhere in the book of Galatians. Who are the Israel of God? They're the spiritual descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, also called Israel. And not only that, we saw in the book of Galatians that we're children of Sarah rather than Hagar. So we're free and we are spiritual Israelites. We're Jews in a spiritual sense. Often they've been persecuted. Often Christians, if they live for the Lord, are going to experience persecution. But it's worth it because we're on the winning side and the side which is righteous and true, we become the Israel of God when we put our trust in Jesus. From now on, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The Greek here is the word schemata. I bear the schemata. Now, I learned in seminary that there have been people that apparently they were so much into the Lord that they would develop like scars where the nail prints were and what have you. I I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the marks of persecution as at the book of Acts at the town of Lystra where they took him out and they stoned him. They thought they killed him. Well, sometimes you get hurt in a bad way. There are certain scars, certain things that are left on you. So he points out that he's undergone that kind of persecution. Bodily, he's suffered for Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about that, verses 3 and 4. And so have we ever gone to that extent of being suffered in a suffering in a physical way because of faith in Jesus? Are we willing to, if need be, to undergo that kind of suffering? Paul says, I qualify. <laughs> I have the true marks. It's not a mark of circumcision that counts. It's a mark of having lived for Jesus and accepted the results of that, this schemata, the true marks of Jesus. 
Then he concludes, concludes with verse 18. Brothers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. God's goodness, his mercy, his grace, his undeserved favor be with not just your body, but with your spirit, with the inner person. God help you there where it really counts. And you see, if he's with you there and you accept him in your very inner person and character, then your life is immensely enriched and you're at peace and you're able to live for Jesus day by day. Do you agree with these things we've been talking about? Do you agree with the book of Galatians? If so, you can end it like it says, amen. <laughs> amen basically means yes, or truly, certainly, I agree with this all. And that's a great ending for this book. May it be our ending, as it were, as we conclude this book. Amen. We agree with these things. We want to live these things. We want to live for God. May God guide us. May he give us his grace. May he give us his direction. May he help us in all our decisions. May we bow in prayer. <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, for this wonderful book. We thank you how it insists on the correct gospel, the gospel of the grace of God. We thank you that all credit for salvation goes to you, not to us. We thank you that your grace is available. We thank you, Lord, that we can accept that and your guidance and help in all things. Again, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>